Becoming you beyond deconstruction. Because deconstruction isn't the end goal. Living a vibrant, soul-aligned life is. Okay, so I am really excited as usual to be here in another episode of Becoming. And today I'm especially excited because I've got a dear personal friend, a real life friend that I happen to meet online, Joanna Oliver. I invited Joanna on because she's actually been somebody who has been so inspirational in my life as somebody, as a a slightly older woman. (laughs) As a slightly older woman, um, somebody who is in within physical touch and distance, because I do feel that that makes a difference, and who's also supported me navigating some of my own stuff. So, welcome, Joe. Welcome to Becoming. Thank you, Florence. It's lovely to be here. I, when you said, oh, you know, will you come on? I, I, yeah, you know, it's time, isn't it? I think it's been a while since we kind of done something like this where we've engaged in the conversation so I think yeah it's overdue great okay so fantastic I already know that it's going to be such a um a beautiful conversation um and I've spoken to you a little bit about what it's about and, and why I'm doing this but just for people that don't know you and who are just taking my word for it can you just share a little bit about who you are and what you do what you're about sure so my name's Jo, as you said, Joanna Oliver. Um, I am, I, I self-identify as a chameleon, and I guess that's the best place to start because then it makes sense of the rest of it, in my opinion. Um, I'm a mum of three. Uh, my youngest is eight, my menopause baby, um, and uh, she's home educated. I have a really diverse professional background. And this has led me into this kind of chameleonic space um, where I've kind of joined or merged, if you like, academia um, and my professional experience in as a lecturer, as a trainer, as a, a strategy kind of manager, as a bid writer, the ghostwriter, proofreader, editor. I do lots of different things. So it's kind of a bit of a list. But. When I really think about it, because I mentor people as well, when I really think about it, what I'm, what's at the core of that is the essence of people's growth. So this notion of mm. uh, becoming is really attractive to me. This kind of de-layering, you know, becoming what we already are. Um, I believe that we already are when we're born, maybe even before we're born. Mm. Um, and then life takes us into these spaces um and adds layers to us that we we then and I guess that's the deconstructing bit we then have to kind of throw off over the years we need to understand why they're there what they're about and decide to let go of them um so I've developed like different programs one of them which uh I know I've done a little bit of work with you um not you personally but within your professional space which is grow free from shackles um which is all about kind of that de-layering process what's that all about what messages are we listen, listening to? What voices are there? Where do they come from? What purpose are they serving? You know, are they really in alignment with who we are today or where we want to be? And then kind of moving on from that, because the, the kind of, if I think about the chameleonic 
brand, the strap line is grow your colours. So there's a whole sense of kind of living your living your life in the magnificence of Technicolor. Um, so there's another programme actually that I'm delivering. I was just in, in a conversation yesterday as a follow-on from a programme that I ran, I think last year, the Growth People Shackles, which is Grow Your Colours. So again, that's uh, that'll be with women, women of colour, um, black and brown women, if you like. And that's, uh, yeah, kind of how do we utilise that learning from growing free from shackles to then step into our power base, step into our magnificence, magnificence and be who we are? Yeah. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. Yeah. OK, fantastic. Yeah. So. There's a lot there, and I want people to know where they can um, get in contact with you. So if we kind of like talk about that maybe at the end, yeah, um, so they can find out more about those programs if, you know, they feel like they want to. But I think you touched Mm. upon quite a few things there. This kind of universal experience that we have of being conditioned or being put onto um Hmm. can you talk a little bit about where you think that comes from why you think that is and maybe your personal experience of that Hmm. i know it's a big question (laughs) yeah it is a big question but it's all you know i like to think that things are simple yet complex so i think it's a big question i I think if i begin with myself very early on in my life, uh, and this was really due to the fact that I'm a mixed race parent teacher and I grew up in a white environment, uh, family wise, but also community and socially. At a time when we didn't have the internet, so there was no sense of a bigger picture out there. Um, I was asked on a fairly regular basis, it feels like now that I look back on it, um, how I saw myself. How do you see yourself? And I knew early on that that meant, do you see yourself as black or white? I also learned that how I responded to that question would determine what happened next. So in that environment, probably the safest thing to say would would have been to say that I saw myself as white. Um, Because I guess, you know, people, uh, it's about people's acceptance, isn't it? So I quickly learned to be sophisticated in that response. I don't ever remember saying that I saw myself as white. I can't say for sure that I never did. I certainly never saw myself as white. I certainly was explicitly clear uh, and reminded of my otherness. So I would say that that experience was the, was the big was the turning point that I would reflect back upon that let me gave me a message about identity and about the influence of other people upon that identity. Now, over the course of many years, academically and personally and professionally, I've explored identity. So it's kind of something that I can speak about quite straightforwardly. Um, And what I actually believe is that there's a portion of our identity that belongs to the others society community whoever people we don't even know and then there's a part of our identity that's ours and it's the part of our identity that's ours that i think that we cherish nurture grow and helps us to then de-layer some of that other stuff 
Um, that's kind of the true essence of us, I guess you would say. And I'm definitely not talking from a Christian perspective when I say that. This is because this has been a, a very, um, very much a, an experiential journey. Um, my core belief is that the world starts within. If, if I've got lots of little sayings, um, but if someone were to say, "What's your, what's what's the one that kind of defines you?" That would be it. The world starts within. So therefore, for me, our identity, irrespective of what other people want to place on us, what what messages we've received, begins within. And of course, we do. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we do um, internalize those messages from other people. And for me, that delayering, that's why it has to be deep work, because that delayering is kind of a process of saying, which bit of this is my core essence and which bit of this have I inherited? Uh, on a positive note, which bit of this have I assimilated? Because definitely for me, in taking this journey from being, in, in, talking racially now and culturally from a white environment uh, to a, or a white English environment to a um more of a kind of mixed, uh, multicultural, black, African-Caribbean environment, I've definitely assimilated certain, and not just behaviours, um, but, but rituals as well. So simple things like washing my meat and mincing my plates. Didn't grow up with those, but I've assimilated that. Right. So I think, you know, these all kind of then start to define us. And I guess the more people start to see who we are, the more they then uh, add new labels to us. So the labels I'm sure that people will, will associate with me now that I've assimilated certain things will, will be different to before because I'm sure in the early days when they thought, what she doing? She hasn't minced her plates. The association of me would be different, right? Um, so I think, yeah, that's fundamentally, I, I would say that we receive these messages we learn consciously and otherwise uh, how to navigate this world, don't we? How to keep ourselves safe. As human beings, you know, our, our kind of core, at our core is survival. Yeah. So how have we learned to survive in this world? Yeah. Um, and how have those messages helped us to to navigate this world? And yeah. in a sense, I am picking up this kind of idea that I know sometimes we can fight against the fact that we have taken on these identities and there can be maybe some kind of bitterness, anger, resentment about that. But at some level, I think it's also important to recognise that they did keep us safe and to kind of be, to honour that and be grateful for it because it is a journey and it's a process and we were still learning, we were still growing and we were still becoming in that. And I laugh at your um, example of rinsing plates because some people may not know it would be like, what the hell is she talking about rinsing plates? But you have to be black in a sense to get it because that's something that, you know, you might watch um, a movie where um, after dinner, a white family are doing the washing up and they'll take it out of the um, the soapy water and they'll put it on the side. And that is just typical stereotype. That's just what white people do. So I can totally understand that if somebody witnessed you doing that, they would automatically label you because you don't fit into the black culture 
because you don't know that mm. insider information that this is what black um, families do, right? And it's so mm. weird because I'm black African heritage and, you know, you've spoken about black Caribbean, but, you know, it just seems like somewhere, somehow we picked up that simple ritual. But mm. even then, and I'm sure maybe you can relate, sometimes it's not enough for other people that you still maybe whether you self-identify or whether they see you do certain things it's Mm. not enough you still haven't ticked all the boxes for them Mm. can you talk a little Mm. bit about that I know we're talking we're we're referencing race a lot and that's totally fine if that's Mm. um, what you feel Mm. comfortable using as examples and I'm sure Mm. people can you know um, relate it back to their own experiences outside Mm. of race or um, including race Mm. but yeah so I guess, yeah, and, and just to touch on that, I think that, yeah, um, the race is a big part of our existence and our identity, I feel. And I feel that, um, you know, no matter what people want to say, colour is seen first, you know, and we talk about intersectionality. And I, I look at this a lot from kind of professional and academic points of view, you know, about intersectionality. But actually colour is seen first. So I think that it is a fundamental aspect of our identity, particularly the identity that belongs, that all the parts of us that belong to other people, because it's a, a physical, visible aspect of ourselves. It's not hidden. It's not private. It's not experiential. It is experiential, but it's not purely experiential behind the scenes. It's a public part of us. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, in terms of people accepting, I've, I've given up, <laughs> given up trying to, I don't, I don't, to be honest, Florence, I think I've got to the point now. Maybe it's age. I don't know. I, uh, and and I got I came to this point quite a while ago in my journey, actually, because I think in my twenties, possibly thirties, it was really important to me that people accepted me in the way that I identified. So the way I identify is I'm a black woman of mixed race parentage. My parents are mixed. They mixed and produced me. And then I have my own separate identity, which is related to my experience. And so I know already that there's lots of people that would disagree with that. You know? Why can't you just own your identity? Well, I'm owning it through my parentage, um, is how I see that. Um, I know that there's people that, well, gosh, especially again in the early days, all sorts of um, projections around, you know, what you might, think of yourself what I might think of myself as a mixed race woman um bearing in mind that I grew up in a white environment I was dark-skinned where I grew up if you look at it kind of relatively um so the notion of fair skin good hair all of that stuff was not in my experience didn't (laughs) didn't exist like what's this what are you talking about so when I came, when I went, first went to university in Bournemouth and then especially when I came to London, you know, I remember sitting in a cab. I used to live in, in uh, Tottenham uh, when I first came to London. I remember sitting in a cab and the cab driver, I'm, I, I don't know what we were talking about. I don't know what I said. I'd have been mid-20s, so I probably was chatting all sorts of whatever. And um, and he said, uh, oh, he's only going to make a browning. He said to me, I'll buy it. I know, like I find that funny now. At the time, I was offended. Like, what do you mean? Um, I, but all sorts. But definitely that kind of projection that oh, you think you're all that, 
or you think something of yeah. yourself beyond yeah. and I'm like yeah. that was that that was probably the most challenging part to do now and navigate because that wasn't my experience I wasn't made to feel that I had fair anything or good anything I was made to feel the complete opposite so so within my lived experience and bearing in mind as I say no internet no world outside of that apart from tv which was quite dire in the 70s and 80s in terms of stereotypes and messages (laughs) there was nothing to tell me anything about I thought I was all that it was completely the opposite so I that was an interesting thing being treated as if you do when you completely don't (laughs) that that was that was uh very interesting and it was but it was also very insightful I think you're right my my view just on the becoming is that we're always becoming I'm still becoming um I, I i'll be becoming hopefully i'll continue to become until i leave this plane and go wherever it is that we go um I, and, and then maybe i don't know am, am i becoming something else who knows but um i think that i think that 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 is what is that's fire to me that's fuel that notion that we're always becoming so i don't know in my 20s i thought i knew it Ayanna van sant talks about this and i thought well, this is interesting because i've said this i've said this Ayanna, as well in, the, in my 20s, I thought I knew it. 30s, I thought I knew it. 40s, I've been putting it. In my 50s now, of course I know it. But then what I know is that I don't know it. And that's the difference. That's the difference in the journey for me. And it's quite a liberating um, knowing. Yeah, it's quite liberating because it's, it keeps that kind of joyfulness, almost playfulness with what life is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there are givens. People will not accept us as we see ourselves. People will project people will assume people will embrace it, for me um it's about our sense of okayness isn't it yeah or not okayness. Yeah. yeah 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 and i think that you're kind of touching back to that core essence aspect of ourselves and i know within you know um psychotherapy i know that you're very familiar with and we've spoken about it this is really the realm of mm. ego isn't it and doing that kind of ego right. strengthening work um mm. the fragility i think of the ego that we see um is is quite a lot in society and i think also what kind of adds to that is how the ego is misunderstood the purpose the role of the ego is misunderstood so that we don't treat it gently and softly and tenderly and with love and care and compassion it's like you know you're speaking too loud go away or you know you're you're just whatever whatever kind of all the negative stuff that we absorb from society we kind of lump it throw it at it which Mm. does so much more harm when you think about it can you speak into that yeah Oh yeah, that, one of my favourites, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I've had many, many debates publicly. Sometimes I've embarrassed myself actually with this notion of ego and attachment, and you know, really, I remember going to a retreat and uh, the guy talking about attachment and, and me being getting a bit ahead of myself and oh, what do you mean, you know? Because I have children, so it's like, of course, attachment's important, you know. But from from certain perspectives, it's like we we don't have attachments, and I'm like, no, I can't go with that. Uh, just as an aside but I guess it's not really because all of these things are connected aren't they but in terms of so Freud's theory I think I I teach Freud's personality theory I I love aspects of what I think Freud wasn't allowed to speak from his eye because of the time 
I think if Freud were alive today, he would be magnificent. I think he had to fit a certain doctrine. He had to be that person. But actually, when you listen and when you look at what he's talking about, you know, transference and counter-transference, what on earth, you know, at that time. So I think he, he managed to share some stuff that has left a beautiful legacy for people like us at a time when he, he, he shouldn't have been allowed to talk about that stuff. But he did. He found a way. So, yeah, hats off to Freud. Jesus, yes. uh, irrespective of what some people say about the way he spoke. He was at the time. Yeah. He, the language was the language. So, we, you know, we can't. But personality theory, I would always, I share that in a very informal way in, in group sessions mm. with people. I've shared it with young people and they've understood it perfectly. You know, so the fact that I, I learned that when I was studying for my first master's degree is irrespective, right? Yes, I learned it to a level, to a depth. So, yeah, the layman's term, the street term, if you want to call it, for ego is, oh, avoid, avoid your ego at all costs. You know, you mustn't. Thou shalt not have an ego. Let's not show it. It's a bad thing to show. You need to keep it under wraps. You need to keep it down. But in the therapeutic world, and I used to work in therapeutic communities, and the statement that was used was, um, this is in the 90s, the statement that was used was, the young person needs ego strengthening. And what that means and what that meant was, and I didn't then, this is before I studied, so I just used to hear it being said and kind of made sense of it as I listened to the experts talking about it. Mm. But what I took it to, to mean was that person needs to be able to regulate themselves. So when I look at Freud's personality theory, I placed it in a particular way. So you've got superego on one side, the inner parent, those messages about you from people, from your community, from your, you know, the cultural norms, whatever it is, your religion, culture, blah, blah, blah telling you how you should be, all those shoulds that I always say need to go in the bin. Um, and then you've got the id on the other side, so they're up here. The id is our compulsion, our kind of natural way, if you like, our kind of um, the child that will kind of touch that because it's attractive to touch. And then the, we know that the superego, oh, you mustn't be touching that because if you touch that, you're a bad person, you're a bad person. But then the ego will step in, won't it, and hold. So if I align that with other theory, and there's so many different theories that if we overlay them, they all mm. link mm. Um, in one way or another. But if I kind of draw on some gestalt, gestalt psychotherapy for a minute, uh, the, the ego for me sits within uh, where our firm ground is. It's our regulator. It's the one that's sitting in between, looking up almost at the id and the superego and saying, well, hold on a second. Let's just take a moment. You know, actually... Are you a bad person for touching that uh, button? Uh, or is that just an old message that you're playing there? You know, so I quite like looking at it from that point of view. It's mm. a very simple way of looking at it. Um, and I'm sure Freud wouldn't mind. Um, but, and obviously all of this is happening in a very quick way. Ideally, once we have integrated that, it's happening in a very quick way. We're not sitting back and kind of navel glazing. Uh, gazing all day who's got time you know um um and that's for me the importance of being reflective and being reflexive reflexive in the moment now i didn't learn about reflexivity until so 1998 i graduated with the therapeutic work masters 
um, were going mm, 15 years later that I learned about reflexivity mm. through my, I did a, well, I ended up with a master's in education as well. But I was supervised by a guy who was a psychotherapist and he used to talk about reflexivity a lot. Beyond fragments, he used to talk about fragments of us, which really spoke into, because I definitely had learned to compartmentalise my identity. Um, you know, they talk, talk about code switching now. For me, that's all part of the chameleonic identity, being being different in different spaces, but kind of still trying to keep a hold of it's your core identity. Well. Yeah. So that kind of notion of uh, reflexivity and knowing things and feeling things in the moment and processing in the moment, even if what you're doing is processing and saying there's something going on there for me in my um, in my belly, not quite sure what it is, can't deal with it now because I'm in a moment, but I will revisit it later. That is for me a really crucial aspect that we don't always learn to develop. Like we don't have to be reactive all the time. We can take something away, not ignore it, acknowledge it, and take it away and look at it later. Mm, mm, mm. And I think that because society is so fast and I I actually don't believe it's human beings are so fast. I feel that we've learned to become so fast, you know, because back in the day, if we kind of take it back to um, Paleolithic hunter-gatherer times, okay, yes, you might have yeah. had to at times make really quick decisions, but the pace of life, even if we don't even go back that far, even if we go back to like agricultural and farming times, to be in tune with seasons. You know, you, we weren't like waking up in the morning, rushing to do this and rushing to do that, rushing to do it. There was a right. cycle. There was a pattern. There was a, a connection. There was space. But I feel like in yeah. modern society, because the the shift, the, the purpose, the focus of being alive has changed, right? It's no longer for you to sustain, nurture, nourish, create life. It's now for, quote unquote, the man, the system. Yeah, it's to, mm -hmm. to be a functioning citizen of a society, to go out in the morning to, to slog and do work in a particular way, bring home the money and say, thank you very much for, for giving me the, the money for me to continue to stay and work all day. And there's never a moment, especially, and, and I know that you can relate because you've been in education and people who have done that kind of very, very intensive work where you're, where you don't have a moment to stop, breathe and think, yet you are called to be a reflective practitioner. Don't know how that works, but there, there you go. It's like the system is kind of designed in a way to not allow you to connect with yourself, not give you the space to come back to it later. Instead, what they offer is numbing, numbing through um, food, TV, social media, now all these ways whilst continuously feeding us the dream, the life, the goal, whatever it is. Mm. Thoughts. Yeah. 
Oh, lot, again, Florence, really, really good questions because this is like, and this is the flow, isn't it? Because I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely. Smiling, smiling. I mean, look, and I think this this kind of would be the crossover aspect into religion. Okay, let's go there. Uh, because I, um, so first of all, I'm on a mission to ditch the clock. I've started yes, writing I've a book called Ditch that. the Clock. Yeah. Right, I've been saying it for. I use it as a hashtag, but it's actually a book to stitch the clock, and it's about exactly what you said. Right, um, I did actually write a creative piece uh, um, for something recently, which was around two women sitting around a fire, uh, talking about uh, the, the bringers of the light, the bringers of the light, and actually the bringers of the light. The light was electricity. So one yeah. of the women had been into the village that morning and heard people talking about the bringers of the light and getting excited about the bringers of the light because that would mean that, um, or, or it's called the false light, actually. What that would mean would be that we could do more, we would have more, we could have more time, we'd have extended days, we'd have this, we'd have that. But actually, um, one of the women, uh, which I guess was my voice more, was saying, you know, uh, that, 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 that there was, or was, was thinking that there was a concern about that. Because does it mean more? What about being able to get up in the morning with the sunrise? What about being able to catch that part of the day? What about the walk into the village before the sun gets too hot? What about um, getting enough sleep? And what about our body rejuvenating itself whilst we sleep? What about, um, you know, the, 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 the purpose of the campfire at night? for telling stories for connecting for understanding each other for just observing each other and sitting in silence and feeling all the feels what about that and the way that that's lost what about what happens to our health and our eyes because we are working under the false light right uh, uh, beyond the time that we're supposed to as humans and whatever so for me this is quite fundamental stuff and it's back to nature as you say it's back to and you know I'm a fan of uh, moon cycles, so I follow mm. moon cycles. I'm not an astrologist. And actually, I had a thought about this this morning. I didn't expect to be talking about it now because I was listening to something about the full moon, which is today. And I was thinking about, yeah, I'm definitely not an ast astrologist because that's too technical for me. I'm not a yeah. technical person. I'm like, what, what was that again? That plus that equals what? But I get it at a feelings level, yeah. <laughs> an empathic yeah. level. Or, yeah. So I often will know something. This sounds really woo-woo. It's not meant to be. I often will know something before. So, for instance, I've been feeling a particular way but didn't watch a video until this morning that has made sense. All oh, right, that's because of this. And I knew that there was a full moon today, which is why I watched the video. But I kind of thought that's what that is, all about the wounded healer. Then I kind of thought, well, this is interesting because I went to see Woman King okay. on Friday, the Woman King, and that was really interesting to me. I know there's a lot of controversy about it. I'm not tuning into that. It was a really powerful film mm -hmm. uh, to watch for all sorts of reasons. And um, what was interesting for me about that was there was a nod towards the wounded self within that film. And I thought, is it a coincidence that it came out the other day? Or, you know, because I believe that, you know, if we know it as little us sitting in our little spaces, it's known that the bigger story is, is out there. Mm -hmm. It's just that, just like with technology, you know, we're not kind of 
fed certain things before we're allowed to be fed it, although we can know it, can't we? Which, so for me, there's a lot in astrology, there's a lot in moon cycles, there's a lot in the elements. Uh, I'm fully, fully engaged with, you know, water, air, um, fire, earth, energy, and how that links to astrology. And um, I think that, I don't think I know this because I've had texts sent to me before and people say to me, oh, be careful with that. Oh, I, heard, I saw you reference the third mm. eye the other day. Be careful about mm. that. I'm like, I don't, I'm not going to be careful. I don't feel the need to be careful because since I was a child, I've wanted to switch off that other eye. I don't know. But as a child, it was a lot because I saw so much. I saw so much. It was overwhelming. So there was a part of me that wanted to switch it off. Now as a grown woman, I'm so happy to have that capacity, that additional mm. capacity. It's like having an extra storage drive in your system. <laughs> I love it. You know, yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. But I know, and, and so the people that will tell me to be careful and will text me and this, that, and the other, are people that are Christians in particular. Mm. And so I know that there's a very, I get asked sometimes very, um, definite questions about are you a christian mm. well i'm like because i don't not believe mm. Mm. do i believe what you believe do i believe it in the way that you believe it? Mm. did mm. i was i taught it in the way that you've been taught it have i interpreted it in the way that you've been interpreted that you interpret yeah. it that is where it lies for me uh and i think so that is that is a big part of it, but there are some people, and it happened to me recently. I'm going to say it happened to me recently because I remember having to take a little moment. I had a brilliant evening out, and somebody asked me the question. The question. I was amongst Christians who are friends of mine. I love dearly, um, and I was asked the question by someone: "Do you? Are you a Christian?" And I'm like, "Um, it's not an um, it's a yes or a no." Oh wow! I know really? that it's an um. Yeah, I know it's an um because I know that my answer is not befitting. So I kind of went, well, it, it doesn't depend. It's a yes or a no, and it was. So I said, well, look, um, I, I basically declined to answer because I knew that it wasn't a yes or a no for me in the way that they wanted to hear the yes mm. or no. Uh, but I also did feel, in some aspects of that, there was eyes on me that was like yeah what are you going to say what are you going to mm. say there was a bit of that and again you know not in a bad way I think because it's quite it's quite contentious I feel um I feel that I'm big enough to be able to cope with it so mm. it's fine I might not have been big enough to cope with it though I might have still been in transition mm. I might have felt like oh my gosh I'm being judged what's going to happen to me I'm not only being judged humanly but am I being judged spiritually what's going to happen to me you know, so that so there could have been a bit of that, but there wasn't. Fortunately, I had the opportunity to have a one-to-one -one with the questioner because I uh, dropped them home after we got off the train, and I was able to kind of say, "Look, let me give you some context as to why I didn't answer the question in the way that you wanted me to." And I gave the context, and they, you know, they gave their response, which was, "You know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? You know, was." died and rose again and all of that that narrative that is kind of unless you do you're not christian type of thing and i you know and, and i kind of again just kind of left that as where it was because i understand it and i'm not um i'm not kind of gonna um 
I can't lie, basically. So I'm not. I'm a. I'm. I'm averse to to fakery and lies and pretence. So I couldn't just give an answer that that was pleasing to someone else. Those days are gone for me. My please you driver has diminished quite significantly over the years. Um, so it was like I couldn't just give an answer that I knew would be pleasing to the group that I was with. It had to be an answer that was congruent for me. And therefore, in that moment, the answer was a non-answer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say to somebody who might feel less secure if they were in that position? I mean, yeah, what would you say to somebody to to maybe help them feel more able, more supportive in getting to a place where they could be that way? What 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 has been your process? What has helped you? Yeah, so I think that the, the greatest tool is self, right? So, you know, our, and then our self-awareness, our kind of reflection on flexibility gallery, unpacking, delaying and all of those things. And I think, uh, again, one of my other things is you can't unknow what you know. So if you're in those moments and you know that the response you're giving, and it's not to say it's no judgment, because I've been there where I've given the, the, the satisfactory response because it's what people want to hear. But I've also known that I've then sat with the inner feeling of I didn't give the answer that was pleasing to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's when we come to that position, and it's a journey of knowing that the answer needs to be pleasing to us. Now, I even know as I say that, that that is controversial to some people, because why would it be about me? I'm not mm-hmm. the, I'm not, You're I'm not God, you know, yeah. all of it. So therefore, it you know, all by, by doing things that Ego. are pleasing to you, all of that, right? <laughs> there, therein lies your downfall, Joe. You know, <laughs> you know? so, I, I know this to be true, but I'm still going to say it, right? Because we have to live with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We do. We have to live with ourselves every single day, day in, day out. We wake up with ourselves. We go to sleep with ourselves. It doesn't matter. We can look for external validation. So look. For me, the pure answer to that would be, as I think about it now, if my answer is to please the people that I'm sat with, that is not the right answer. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. And actually, if you are true, if your answer is because you truly, truly, truly within you know that, and even if you're in the, the space of pleasing God, and that is where the answer's coming from, then it's the right answer isn't it? Because it's the answer that is satisfactory to you. It needs to be the answer that is satisfactory to you. I, um, again, I think it's a journey. We have to feel the discomfort. I don't think the shortcuts, I think there's lots of us, myself included, mentors, youth workers. I, I work with a lot of people that are helping people all the time. It's, that's my daily, you know, conversations. And I know that the majority of people, particularly when it comes to young people uh, and all, all people who are vulnerable in whatever way, is to help them to not to have to go through what they went through or to help them to not have to go through blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and, and I agree with it and I get it and I understand it and I align with it. But I also feel like some of this 
has to be lived. Some of this is a process that we cannot protect people from. We have to become sick of ourselves. Somebody posted about this on social media today about becoming sick of yourself. That's the greatest turning point or something. I can't remember the exact words, but I agree. I was like, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, because you can't know what you know. So when I'm sat there thinking, what are you saying? And this is just so not congruent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, then that's the time to revisit that language, that those words, that belief system, that, you know, is that for you? What is that all about? Whose voice yeah. is that anyway? Yeah. You know, and that goes back to id, ego and super ego, right? Mm. The super ego. Mm. I do hear what you're saying. There are two things that kind of stand out to me. I'm just aware of time because we've gone on to 40 minutes now. But a um, mm. couple of things that stand out to me, because I, I was writing yesterday. I'm getting into this habit, just started this habit of writing every day. Um, and you know, it stirs up a lot because I've said it, I've actually said it out loud to people, this is now something I'm doing. And when it was something that was just in me that, you know, just something that I was doing just for me, it was fine. But all of a sudden now I've kind of verbalized it. It's like, Mm. I can feel like the weight of that. And so as I'm writing, I'm doing this writing, I, I type these words. I'm so tired of being tired. Do you know what I mean? That kind of place where that mm-hmm. kind of meta place where you kind of can see, see the pattern, you can see it. And yeah. I totally get what you mean because there have been times, you know, I, in my childhood, one of my defense mechanisms, one of my coping mechanisms was to lie, you know, because my childhood environment, I felt very unsafe. And so when you feel unsafe to protect yourself, you kind of, you submit, you submit to that pressure. You, you say what you need to say in order to protect yourself, to make yourself feel safe. So I definitely, definitely understand that. And I think you kind of do have to get to that place where you kind of know, okay, this is, I feel safe, but it comes at cost and I'm no longer willing to tolerate the cost, the safety that I feel, it's not worth the cost. Because I know that, especially when it comes to deconstruction, and I've spoken to people who may be like, they live in Bible Belt America, and, you know, for them, it feels very unsafe. You know, it can, it can impact them personally, financially, it can impact their children. And so often it's like, it's something that they speak about in whispers. I can never mm. experience that in the same way that they experience it. But I feel like I've experienced my mm. own version of that being a black woman raised within African culture where you do Christianity in a particular way and you've always done Christianity and it's just something that you just is just going to be for time immemorial. You know, uh, yes, it's not Bible about America, but it's still very, very real sense of oppression, sense of you do it this way. And Mm. I'm needing to become, 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 become in the sense Mm. of feeling safe in myself enough to begin to express and articulate. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, 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 invited you because I've watched you I've observed Mm. you share 
and I've watched other people share and it's been so supportive of my own journey because without you, without people like you who were, who reached that point, and, you know, looking at it then, I maybe thought, oh, gosh, you know, Joanna, she's, like, so brave. You know, she's doing this, or this person is so brave, and I wish I could. But hearing you speak now, I see the journey. I see the process. It wasn't that you kind of just went, rolled up your sleeves and went, yeah, I'm going to be brave and courageous today. <laughs> I'm just going to go, you know, blah, and there you go, take that. It was really about you walking the walk. And eventually you got to that place where you were like, yeah, but no. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I had a conversation with someone just this morning about something completely different. And they said, oh, well, I'm going to let them know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, don't let them know. You don't need to let them know. Just do it. Oh, yeah, okay. Now you can just do it. And I said, just do the do. So it is about walking the walk. I think I tend to talk about things after I've done them rather than before mm. or whilst doing so that might be why it comes over that way as mm. well because it's I'm usually exiting the space <laughs> when I'm talking about it so I feel quite confident you know um I think that's probably part of it also Florence I think there's a couple of things I want to say and because I I'm hearing what you're saying about people that are in it and and, and, and how significant and, and big mm. this is really so I didn't grow up in anything staunch. Mm. And I think that probably makes a difference. Mm. Mm. So my de-layering around religion is much more low-key, mm. much less embedded, imbued in the fibre of me and my surroundings. There is less of a detachment, less of a cost mm. to that detachment. So, I mean, I went to Sunday school. You know, all schools at the time when I went to school sang Christian songs mm. in assembly. That was the norm. So Christianity was normalised within society. So I picked it up that way. As I say, I went to Sunday school. I seem to remember towards the end, as I got older, Sunday school meant lots of tea with as much sugar as I fancy because no one's stopping me. You know, that time. So it's just that, you know, I can't. So there wasn't a sense of... um I didn't have a sense of rightness or wrongness in the same way, in a lived mm. way. Mm. The other thing that I'll say is, so, so I've, but I've gone in and out of church throughout my life. Mm. As a young adult, um, I've had people approach me. I've had people pick up that I'm not okay as well, I think, as I think about it, and invite me to their church. Mm. I. That is part of the reason why I don't engage with church in the way that I probably could, be, um, apart from the last church that I went to, because I've always felt that ego has been too big in the space for me. Like, uh, you know, I'd be in the church quietly kind of trying to hear what's being said, take, you know, what is the learning here? What can I, what is this to me? What does this mean? You know, all of that. And then there'll be people bustling through to kind of, who invited you? Oh, you know, you're a new person, who invited you? And I'm like, what is this? I'm not at a networking event. I'm <laughs> trying to connect with God. So for me, there's always been a bit of a, well, not always. As I grew up, and I'm mm. talking about 20s, 30s, 
I realised that that was something that I struggled with in the space. Mm. So um, I've gone to lots of churches and whenever I picked up this, and I know that's not about God, that's about people, mm. but the same people are saying certain things. But what I'm, and again, it's incongruence. What I'm seeing is something completely different. Mm. And that for me is where my tolerance struggles. So then I uh, will quickly evacuate the space like I would any other space where what I'm seeing is not what I thought it was going to be. And, you know, no thanks. Don't need to be here. And I and then I developed a sense of, so the process, I guess I developed a sense of connectivity with God on my own terms, which again, I know contentious, hello, think people can see that that's me, but it was that kind of connection. I pray. Do I pray religiously, interesting turn of phrase? No. I pray. I speak to God. I speak to God like, you know, God, what, what is this? What is going on here? Mm. What is that all about? So God is my go-to person. Mm. Person, right? Uh, faction in my life. But it, it's like, it's in a different way. The last church I went to, I went to that church when I was going through a really difficult time mm. in my life. And I would never uh, be, betray the value of that space and the people I met there for helping me through what I was going through. Mm. So, you know, and, you know, God within that, they helped me to kind of, uh, connect with God in a way that helped me to survive, mm. to navigate. So I, th- this isn't for me. It's an, another saying of mine: "There's no black and white, only grey." Mm. This isn't a straight. This is why my depends comes in. The other thing I've just touched these. I carry crystals around my neck. I've got numerous mm. different things. I know that gives a message to people. I went to uh, uh, visit a community building recently for some work I was doing uh, as a bid writer. And it's a church-based space. And the guy is a missionary. And the guy that took me there is a pastor uh, who I work with. Lovely people. Got on really well. And the guy, I said something about working with what's in your hands and spoke about Eliza and the oil and what's in your house and where I took that from, a T.D. Jake's uh, CD from that my friend who goes to Hillsong gave me. I used to listen to on a loop in my car uh, at one time. And the, the man said, oh, oh, I wasn't sure of your, your spiritual leanings or whatever he said. Uh, I've been really mindful about my language, he said. And I, all I could think was, yeah, you've seen these and you're thinking what's going on and you've seen the however I have my hair and there's a bit of a, 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 a gypsiness about me sometimes and I think it gives people a message but it's all about signs and symbols right mm-hmm. we're all living our identity and how we function in this world because that is what we're doing it's shortcuts how are we understanding this world we're making sense of messages so people are making sense of messages about me all the time and me them I guess yeah. all the time although I do try to question myself and say hold on a second yeah you know but not everyone's doing that we've covered so much today (laughs) we've really really covered so much I just want to say thank you thank you for the time because you know it's been so rich um 
Mm. And if somebody wants to connect with you to learn more about you or to learn about the programs that you were speaking of right at the beginning, where where can they go? So I have my main Facebook page, I guess, Joanna Oliver. Mm-hmm. It's just that, Joanna Oliver. And you'd see me because I've got the hair going on on my profile page. I think it stands out. Um, I've also got Joanna Oliver Consultor Comedian mm-hmm. on Facebook, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter either one. I, I'm quite fluid in the way that I mm-hmm. uh, speak about things uh, in different spaces. Also, same on Instagram. Um, I think that comes up as Consultor Comedian mm-hmm. on Instagram. So it's just at Consultor Comedian. And LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, Joanna Oliver. And I think Twitter is Comedian Joe. Mm-hmm. So whichever space people are in. Yeah, those are the different. Uh, they can connect with you. Yeah. Okay, that's been a mm-hmm. perfect conversation, as I knew it would be. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Florence. I've actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I could go on. <laughs> I know that's why I have to stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. I really hope that you've enjoyed today's episode. You can connect with me on my Substack newsletter unfolding to follow my journey and to find out if you're interested how we can work together. Go to my website, becomingbeyondeconstruction.com and if you're interested in supporting the work, then please feel free to buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash living from soul. My name is Florence Okusogu and I'll see you on the next episode of Becoming You Beyond Deconstruction. Thank you.